All right, welcome to episode seven of the To Comply or Not To Comply podcast. I'm your host, AJ Yan, founder and CEO of ByteCheck, the only all-in-one compliance solution in the industry. I'm super excited about today's episode, joined by my guy Chandler, founder and CEO of Boot Up. Chandler, thanks for being on. AJ, thanks for having me, man. Super excited to be here. Super excited to, to break bread and share with the listeners. Yes, sir. So, you know, you're you're here in Miami. You know, we, we were able to grab lunch uh, a few weeks ago and, and obviously got to know each other really well. But for the listeners out there that haven't heard your story yet, give us a quick background of, of who you are and what you're up to. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, as AJ said, my name is Chandler Malone, uh, the CEO of Boot Up. At Boot Up, what we do is we help enterprises get more comfortable sourcing and hiring tech talent that doesn't come from your traditional four-year university pipeline. Um, the reason why that's important is because in the tech industry, in the U.S. alone, there's a two to five million person talent gap today. That gap is projected to grow to 85 million people by 2030. Meanwhile, our largest pipeline of talent into tech is coming through the university system, which is declining rapidly for a host of reasons that I feel like anyone that's listening to this can, can think up of like really quickly. And so, you know, you look over the past 11 years, every single year there's been a decline in enrollment, leading to three million fewer people being enrolled in college now than there were 10 years ago. And so for us, you know, we're helping individuals break into tech through different pathways, through boot camps, through, uh, you know, self-taught YouTube programs, through vocational training schools. And so as we're helping individuals get those trainings, we also need to work with the companies to get them, you know, caught up to speed with some of these new educational pathways so they feel comfortable hiring talent from there. That's what's up. That's what's up. I think it's a extremely needed thing right now, especially the piece of that you all don't just like help people like get in their door, but you're like connecting them with companies, you're completing the picture, which I think has been always the missing component of a lot of these things out there. Talk to us a little bit about like, why is this is an important problem for you to solve? So I think we can start on the person side, the individual side before we go to companies, right? Like income inequality, like in this country is definitely a huge thing. You look at like racial wealth gaps and like they have not shrunk over the past 60 years. Um, but meanwhile, you look at tech and this is like the highest paying industry in the world with like the lowest kind of amount of gatekeeping in terms of like qualifications and credentials that you need. Like of any industry in this country, tech is the one that is most just merit based. Can you do the work? Um, and I'm not saying that the industry is perfect. Right. But like you've got the highest paying opportunity. That's the most merit based for folks who have not had access to economic mobility. It's like this is the sweet spot. And so, you know. That is just like one like really big reason, you know, to be working on it. But at the end of the day, like companies, they need people to go and to grow just like we need water to live, you know. And so like I feel like from a business uh, you know, perspective, this is like one of the biggest problems of the decade, right? Because technology is not going anywhere. The technologies that we use might change, you know. At one point we were really excited, you know, about web two. Right now we're really excited about web three. But with that being said, like we are always going to need people with those skills to be able to like complete those processes for businesses. And so if we can help a bunch of people and solve like the biggest business problem of the decade, like I feel like that's a great way to be, you know, spending my time and spending our time as a team. Facts. Yeah. And I think what what you said there about the gap and then also the racial wealth gap, that's something that like I talk a lot about and why I'm super passionate about just trying to find ways to get more of us in this industry. For those listening, Chandler and I are Black. Um, so when I say more of us, I'm talking about us being Black. And I think, you know, tech is a way that we could really shift the world, shift the future, because we could, like you said, that wealth gap right there, man, like jobs and tech pay a lot. 
And I think the argument you just made is a really important one, especially for our listeners that are trying to break into cybersecurity, because we often hear about all of the things you got to do to get into tech, all of the certifications and degrees. But in reality, which has been the funniest part about like this whole journey for me is like you hear it from the outside of like it takes all this stuff to get in. But then you talk to a hiring manager or you are a hiring manager in my case. And it's like, yeah, I don't care about any of that, actually. Like, I just want to know, do you care? Do you, are you going to try hard? Do you have some of the baseline skills? And I think if more people realize that, like more people that are in these tough situations realize like, I can break in without going to get a degree. I can break in without going and doing all these things or learning all of this super technical stuff that I may not feel like I got the skills for. There's so many avenues to make money. I think that's an important piece that a lot of people miss out on is they don't realize that this is, you know, there's not a huge barrier to entry to get into tech. Exactly. And I mean, even, you know, to that piece, like I've talked to, you know, folks who have been intimidated by like the whole like learning the software engineering component, right? Because some folks are tech sales, some folks are designers, everybody's not a coder. Um, but the way that I like to break it down is like this, you know, we had to learn English, right? To be able to communicate, you know, in this country. There are so many folks who are bilingual, trilingual, multilingual in this country. You're really just learning another language. And it's basically being able to how to speak to this machine. And it's got less, you know, variances and exceptions to the rules than, you know, we have. And so, you know, again, like that, perceived barrier i think that you know is there at the end of the day right like if you want something in this life and you're willing to put in the work like you can have it and the tech careers are, are no different from anything else i feel like yeah i agree that's part of my responsibility i think your responsibility for us to continue to say this out loud because a lot of it is access like a lot of people just don't know that they can go to youtube and learn a lot of the stuff that they're thinking about learning i tell people all the time like you could go pay for a course, could go to YouTube University. And like, yeah, you might have to sit through some ads. Yeah, you might get a little bit of some weird stuff at times, but you're going to get the information and you can go out and start building and learning. And I just don't think a lot of people know that. So I think it's dope all from, from the people perspective of what you're building and then getting people to, to get into those jobs. But then the companies, right? Companies always make excuses about, oh, I can't hire these entry-level people because of X, Y, and Z, but you're literally building the pipeline for them and helping them get really solid candidates. Talk to me a little bit about the company side of it and like what are some of the things you've seen, you know, after since building this that companies are struggling with and pushing back on when it comes to hiring people. So the first thing that I will say is the adoption has actually come from the companies who need this talent base the least right now, but also they're the more forward-looking companies, right? And so you look at the companies that hired the most bootcamp grads in 2020, it was Facebook, Microsoft, JP Morgan Chase, Amazon, Google, right? And like, these are folks who can get the best software engineers from any PhD program that they want to, right? But they're also like some of the largest technology and finance companies in the world. So they know how much talent they're going to need. And okay, we need to get comfortable hiring from a different demographic today. Now, where we've seen, right, is we've seen, you know, some of your large retailers, right? And I don't want to necessarily like name out the names of any of the companies. I don't want to put say that any of our customers are struggling with anything. But with that being said, right, like you might be in a city where you've got a top flight in, uh, academic institution, but you can't get any of those, you know, young people to go work for your company as a software engineer because you're seen as a retail company, not a tech company. So your job isn't as quote unquote sexy, you know, to a young person as, you know, a startup or a big tech company. At the same time, those roles are still paying great, right? And like, 
those companies are going to be around because they're providing services that people need. The world is just changing. So they need more tech talent. And so, you know, for us, like that's really like the bread and butter company, you know, financial services, retail. And I think really the biggest piece of friction right now is you've got some hiring managers who I think are like, I had to pay my dues for four years and you should have to do that too. But like in terms of like actual skill set, ability, those things, the candidates that we've been working with have been coming out and they've been just as good as any college graduates, you know, that I've been working with, you know, as well. So it's really more of just like a perception on the company side than anything. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I hate that mentality of like, I walked uphill barefoot in the snow. So you got to do the same thing. Like I, my whole mindset is like, since, since it was hard for me, like it got to be easy for the next generation and we accelerate the time it takes them to get there. And I think we need more people that are adopting, especially hiring managers, because like you were saying earlier, tech man is so much gatekeeping for no reason. Like it doesn't matter at the end of the day, like what those basic qualifications are, what school, especially schools, like what school you went to truly doesn't matter. But people are like enforcing these arbitrary requirements on their people because they had to do it. They had to go get a four-year degree. So like, you got to do it too. And I can definitely see how that's an issue. You talked a lot about enterprises and financial institutions. Selfishly, you know, I run a startup and we've had some success hiring some entry-level folks. We're actually starting to look for some junior software engineers as well. What would you say to startup founders out there that are trying to grow their teams and you know, they feel the pressure of hiring, you know, fast, hiring the best talent. But like you said, some of these big companies, Amazon, JP Morgan are hiring entry level roles and, and finding success. Would you what would you say to startup founders that are a little bit cautionary about about going at this route? Yeah. So I would say first and foremost, I understand where all the founders are coming from. And like even we sell to enterprise like primarily because we want our candidates to be in the best position to succeed, right? You just came out of a job training program. This is your first job in tech. You might be dealing with a little bit of imposter syndrome. Coming into an organization that's going to pay you amazingly well, have mentorship, affinity groups, all those types of things. Like that's just like best for the success of the individual. With that being said, though, you know, for us, like our second technical hire, entry level, straight out of the boot camp. And like we haven't made it, you know, to the promised land yet, but we were able to have a lot of success with a development team of two and her really leading some of the product management work. And so, you know, with that being said, every person is, is a different individual. And so understanding like what folks' backgrounds were, you know, what people were doing beforehand, right? So for her, she was an entrepreneur and had worked in the resume optimization space. So she knew exactly what we were doing, had the drive, had the work ethic, had the just understanding of like ownership that comes with working with a startup. So even though it was her first software engineering role, this wasn't like her first rodeo. And so I think like for founders who are looking to hire entry level talent in the early days, just because of the, the cash is, you know, hard to come by sometimes, definitely like find the story behind the person. But I mean, even another thing that I, I think is a really interesting strategy as well is you look, you know, internationally and in the same time zones, you know, specifically in Latin America, you know, for US based founders, and you've got folks who have four or five, six years of experience that you could hire for the same type of, you know, expenditure as an entry level, you know, person here. And you don't have to worry about them being halfway around the world. And, you know, you missing a day of feedback, basically, whenever you guys are messaging one another. And I will say like, not to, you know, uh, ramble here, but us noticing that and us even hiring some Latin American talent has made us like 100% all in on expanding to LATAM as our next market. Because at the end of the day, right, you have more and more venture money going into Latin America for 
LIDAM-based companies to grow, and they're going to need talent. But if I'm thinking about hiring from there, and I know that large enterprises already are, it's like that's going to be the talent destination for both U.S.-based companies and LATAM, you know, based companies. And so that's definitely worth checking out for founders, too. I, you just you just put uh, everybody listening to this. If you're not a founder, you just witness what founders do. <laughs> they, 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 they talk about one problem, but every time we see problems, we solve some other things and are thinking about the future of the company, which is dope to, to see you do that. Because I do the same thing all the time where I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm doing this, but guess what? two, three steps down the line, because that's what our job is, right? We got to see around the corner, start to, to start to navigate some of that stuff. I think in there too, is some really good advice for founders around um, just, you know, offshore software development. We all go through it in the early days. We're all using uh, software engineers from all over the world, especially in the super early days when money is super tight. And time zones is such a big thing that I don't think a lot of founders think about because it's so hard if something breaks four in the afternoon and you got engineers across the world that are sleeping, you're kind of stuck until midnight when they wake up um, and, and your customer, the problem is gone. So uh, that, that was just a really good point. I'm glad we, we ended up there and you talked about it because I think most, a lot of founders probably think about offshoring, but they don't really think about all the other things that come into it. With Latin America, you also have less of a language barrier as well. So it's easier to have those conversations. And I think like to your point, Latin American market is crazy right now and a lot of potential opportunity out there, which is dope. And I mean, you mentioned some of your success, especially hiring like an entry-level software engineer. A part of that success is the recent fundraise that you just completed. Congrats on that. I know how hard that is. Tell the folks about you know the raise, how much you raised, what you're planning on doing with the funds. So first and foremost, definitely appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the easiest part of the process, but it is an important part of the process. You know, And I want to definitely give a shout out to all the bootstrap founders out there. But at the end of the day, right, the name of the game is to scale, to pick up market share and to grow as quickly as possible if you are all in on your mission. And for me, like this is about more than just making money. This is about the mission. And so I'm not concerned about us taking capital. I'm concerned about us setting ourselves up to grow. And so, you know, with that raise, we raised $2.1 million from all black led venture capital funds or black angel investors, which was an intentional thing. I'm glad that we were able to do it because just because you want to go set out to do something doesn't mean it's going to happen that way. And, you know, again, like we talked about, you know, racial wealth gaps and just like economic mobility and all of those things, at the beginning of the call and all of our funders really care about those things in a similar type of way and manner that I do. So I know we go win and we go sell this company for however much we sell it for. Other folks who care about the same thing as me are going to go get money off of that and be able to deploy into solutions that can solve for these same problems that we're talking about. And so that was part of the reason why, you know, I was so intentional on the raise. Um, we had the, uh, the raise led by K-Poor Capital. Base Ventures was, was the first fund to commit. We had Concrete Rose Capital come in along with Lightship Capital and a few angels. And I'll say for us for the raise, I wanted to wait until I had the metrics that I needed to have to make it a really easy process rather than trying to go fundraise the moment that we had a web page up. And so basically, we doubled revenue month over month for four months in a row. And that made the fundraising process pretty easy to get to yeses you know, from folks. And so... My, my big piece of advice for founders is your focus should be on like doing the thing that moves the ball forward, not just like going to talk to investors. Um, because if folks see continued progress, that's what they're going to make a bet on. Not the fact that you got their email address from somewhere and like you could send them like a shiny pitch deck. Folks are betting on execution. And so that would be my piece of advice to founders on the race too. 
congrats on that, man, and having all the black investors as well. That's that's dope. Part of our round, we had 80% black investors. And the point I, that you made is something I tell people all the time is like, this now becomes so much bigger than us because if this goes well, you know, we, we go get those three comma exits. What happens is now we've empowered more people that are trying to do what we are care about is empowering these founders. So the responsibility raises, but also it feels good to have people that understand the struggle supporting you. But to your point, you know, it's not charity. Like these are real investors with real investment funds. So you got to have the metrics. You got to build a fundable business to do this, which is something that I think a lot of founders miss out on. They're like, oh, fundraising is really hard. It's built against me. And like, yes, it is. Like it is very difficult. And the process is not designed for you to necessarily do well. But at the end of the day, like you still have to build the business. You still have to do the work, make yourself a fundable business. One of the things that I learned with fundraising is how important storytelling is and how important it is to really tap into the emotions of the investors before you even ask, make, make the request for the raise or make the request for a commit. Talk to me about what you learned about storytelling through the fundraise process. Man, I will tell you, some of my learnings from storytelling were even unintentional. Like I remember we were talking to you know, one of our investors and I mentioned a deal that just raised you know, a pretty significant round of funding that unbeknownst to me, they had missed out on. And it was a similar deal in the space, right? And so that was part of the storytelling. And while it may not have been intentional, there was definitely this feeling of, oh, this space is hot. We missed the last one in this space. You're here in front of us right now. We need to take this seriously. We had you know, some investors where their main interest was social impact. And so typically when I tell the story, I lead with the business case because that's what folks want to hear. It's not charity. But because I knew that these folks were cared about social impact, I knew that I could lead with what I cared about the most and they wouldn't press me about the business case. They would wait until when I actually got to that point. And so like, that was just kind of just like knowing the audience, you know, I think knowing your space, knowing your audience and knowing how you kind of stack up against others in your space favorably, I feel like that puts you in a place to be able to tell a really compelling story where folks are like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I want to get behind it because it's going to be more expensive if I missed out on it. Exactly. And I think that's the piece that a lot of founders miss out on, too, is like, who are you talking to? Like, what investor are you talking to? You're like, if you're a social impact investor, don't go talk to a cybersecurity fund because guess what they're going to do? They're going to take the call. That's one thing I learned is a VC firm will get on the call. They'll throw an associate at you, waste your time. And now you just wasted 30 minutes of time that you could be talking to investors that actually matter. You have to be strategic. I think that was a really good point that you made there of knowing your audience and making sure that you're not just like out here giving everybody the same pitch. If you know somebody invests in a certain company or or sector, like you got to lead with that. If they have a certain thesis, you got to lead with that and make sure that you know like what do they care about because at the end of the day it's people. Like these investors are just humans on the other side and they're trying to make good decisions from a business perspective and you you could be that good decision. Something that you mentioned there as well that I want to kind of tap into is that you were like getting to a yes, getting to a yes. And one of the things that I learned on the raise is that VCs are trying to get to know. They're trying to convince themselves that this is not going to work out. And when I realized that and I kind of shift my mindset that like, all right, like this isn't about me or my business. This is about them going through a checklist of why this is a bad idea. And you kind of got to get out in front of that when you're talking to them, like, all right, like, I know what your no's are. Let me make sure that you're good on those. Talk to me a little bit about your experience of like transforming your mind of getting to the yes and understanding the VC's mindset. Yeah, definitely. So I think for us, like some of the biggest questions were around 
market size for some folks and the folks who understood the size of the market was in competition. And so basically I would explain what we were doing and then be like, look, I understand these things. And then I will go into business model traction, et cetera. And I think what it did was it was like, look, you haven't gotten to the most exciting parts yet, but I'm letting you know that I'm not walking into this blind. And as long as you know that I'm not walking into this blind, you can feel confident giving me money basically to go like pursue this. And I'll say the other thing that I did was I know that we make decisions differently when there's like a a shot clock or like a timer in front of us. And so for us, like I definitely socialized the raise a ton before we actually told people that we were going to go close it. But that also led to us getting a couple yeses and a couple oh, if you can get someone else in, we're in before we like officially formally started the race. And so by the time we started the race, we were like, look, here's our cutoff date. And we already have a couple yeses. So either y'all gonna make the decision by this date or not. And so some of that time that could have been spent getting to a no, it was like a, okay, if we even think we remotely want this, we need to be writing our investment memo as to why it's a yes. You know, and so I think understanding like just like the human psychology about making decisions like in a timeline is also helpful. Absolutely. That's that FOMO you got to create for these investors and like and like make them feel like they're going to miss out on something if they don't execute fast. That's one thing I learned, too, is like once we got our lead investor in, I was able to apply so much pressure on everybody else. Like, hey, like you can be in or you can be out. But like we're oversubscribed. We're good. And then from there, like decisions, oh, we're meeting today. We're going to do this. We got the memo drafted up and like it just changes the way those power dynamics. So I think what you just said there is a great piece of advice for founders that are out there listening to this, socialize what you're doing early on before you need it. Start to have those conversations and get through that so that when it comes time to actually raise the flag, you already know people that are interested. You can tell them like, hey, like all your questions are answered. There's no more questions. We're in execution mode. I need a term sheet ASAP or you're going to miss out. And FOMO is a big piece of it. So storytelling, you know, we talked about that. Creating FOMO is another big piece of it. And then obviously you got to have a real business oh, that is invest that people want to fund and, and can see some kind of future growth trajectory on as well. Talk to us about like, you know, life post the raise now, you know, what's next for boot up? Where are you, where are you all headed? Yeah. I mean, I feel like you walk into the raise and you think that's going to be the hardest part and then you get the money and then you got to go spend it and finding the right people to hire becomes the hardest part. And so that's really what I've been focused on. We've made a couple of really great hires that I'm super excited about and looking to make, you know, three or four more hires in the next month or here. So with that being said, I'm always looking ahead, I think, as is my job. And, you know, I know after the seed comes a series A. And so, you know, just trying to look and understand, you know, what metrics investors are looking for at series A and how we stack up. You know, I found that we're really stacking up really favorably against a lot of marketplaces uh, that are raised in series A. So you know, top quartile of, you know, a, a pretty well-known seed and Series A stage funds have done annual GMVs of over 7 million. The month of February, our GMV was over 9.5 million. And so, you know, I think we're going to be, you know, coming out here to raise a little bit more money soon, basically just next upcoming month um, and kind of just take advantage of some of the growth and, and the traction that we've had. So that's a hell of a position to be in and really dope. Can't beat it. So any founders out there listening to this, you know, all of the advice that Chandler's saying, it's not just for show, you know, the work is supporting it the metrics are supporting it and he's gonna be able to go out and do some great things i think this was like a master's class on fundraising i don't even think that was the intent but great tips because it is a hard process man like the the mental side of it 
the, the tracking of it and all of that is like super difficult. If you were talking to a founder right now and there, you were like, hey, there's one thing you should do as you're preparing to, to raise your first round, your seed round, what would you say is that one thing that they should do? I mean, I feel like you got to treat it like it's a full-time job. Like you're running a sales process, you know, like we put together a spreadsheet, like we had a CRM, you know, and we had, you know, our, our hot, our warm, our cold, like we put it together basically like, this is us either trying to get a job or trying to close a deal. And if you kind of go into it like halfway, it's going to be hard to generate the interest and traction. But when you're able to have multiple people who are in the same networks, kind of understanding that they're interested about what you've got going on. And that only comes from being able to like actually like put out the volume of outreach, you know, and be strategic as possible, you know, about kind of infiltrating the networks. It's going to be hard to raise if you can't do that, you know? And so, I say treat it like a full-time job. That's solid advice. That's something I tell people all the time too, is like when I started raising in early 2021, I didn't treat it like a full-time job. We went through a, a near acquisition right after that, which which kind of deterred the raise. But when I kicked the raise back off after that, I was like, I'm going all in, creating the monday.com board, tracking yeah. this, having regular meetings about like the status, making sure I'm doing the follow-ups because there's so much that goes into it. And a lot of what, you, what I didn't realize and what founders should realize is as you're doing those follow-ups, as you're responding to investors, they're seeing the type of leader you are, the type of work ethic you have. And it's not just like, they're not asking these things for show. They're trying to see like, is this person going to actually do the things and, and, and follow up and answer the questions that I have? So you're, you're constantly auditioning. You know, these people are trying to give you a ton of money to grow a business. And if you can't even respond to a request in a timely manner, if you can't follow up on things that they forgot about, they're going to be like, so what happens in your sales cycle? What happens with your employees? What happens there? So it's like a good sign to show the type of leader you are, the type of person you are from an execution standpoint. Yep, exactly. Exactly. This has been dope, man. I really appreciate you taking the time and chatting with us. I got a couple of questions as we finish out. For people that are trying to break into tech, like what do they need to do to get involved with Boot Up and get signed up? Do they just go to the website and try to get set up? Yep, just go to www.joinbootup.com. If you already have the skills, you know, you can create an account and start applying to jobs immediately. If you're looking to gain the skills, we've got a couple questionnaires to help you understand what's the best skill set for you to specialize in. And then what are some of the best programs and pathways for you to actually gain those skills based upon, you know, what your life situation is like. That's dope. I encourage anyone listening to this. I know we have a lot of listeners that are trying to break into cybersecurity, like another resource that's out there for you to try to get into this field. And then for companies, whether startups or enterprises, do they also just go to join boot up to sign up to figure out how to get find some good talent? Yep. So join bootup.com. You can set up some time for a demo with myself or Matt on our team, both for educators, you know, and for employers. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. I appreciate you coming in here, dropping these gems, man, and sharing some good knowledge. I think this is going to be a really impactful episode for all those out there. Um, for everyone listening, um, make sure you give Chandler a follow on all the social networks. We'll make sure all of his social platforms are in the, the show notes. Chandler, thanks again for being on and, and, and sharing some of that advice and taking some time with me. Man, I appreciate you, AJ. Have a good one, man.